Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of the Gravity Lift podcast. This is Antonella and I have a special guest with me today, my man crush Monday pretty much every week. Introduce yourself. Oh, I'm Jordan. <laughs> I'm Jordan. <laughs> so we decided to take these first kind of early on episodes to do a little bit of question and answer, interview each other so that you folks at home can get to know us a little bit more. Um, this week, Jordan is in the hot seat. Hot, hot. Does it feel hot Ooh. under that tush? It's super spicy. Super spicy. All right. So I have some questions for you, but let's start with stuff basics, like things I might already know, but people at home might not. Okay. Are you ready? Uh, sure. All right. So first, what's your full name? My full name is Jordan E. Goff. And what does the E stand for? E. E. <laughs> Can you elaborate? <laughs> there is no period. It is just an E. Yeah. That's, it's a middle initial, but it's not really an initial because it's not an initial for is anything. Is there a backstory on that? Where did that come from? Uh, my dad's middle initial is H. Uh, I don't know. We kind of have a little bit of it, but I feel like it's almost kind of been like fabricated later in life about what it actually stands for. But <laughs> An urban myth. Yeah. Okay. So it's just... It's just E. And do you like it? I love it. Okay, good. You yeah. could you could probably evolve it and make it stand for different things at different times in your life. Yeah, definitely. Okay. It's kind of based off of someone that was kind of like a godfather to my mom. Okay. So. Godfather E. Mm-hmm. So a little bit more of just the basic stuff. Um, what's your sign? <laughs> Aquarius. Aquarius. So your birthday? February 1st. February now everyone 1st. can know all my social security number and everything. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. Let's not give that <laughs> out. Okay. So you you identify as an Aquarius or is that just what has been handed to you? Well, I mean, isn't that the same thing? Not necessarily. Some people look at horoscopes and are like, that's bullshit. Like, do you feel like it's something you kind of identify with or? Until I was 24, 25 years old. Yeah, it was all bullshit. And then as more and more people started talking about it, it became an interesting additional piece of the puzzle to look at myself from an outside lens. So Mm. regardless of whether or not I believe in it is a much different thing. It's kind of a similar thing with like, you know religion like whether or not i necessarily believe in a god is a way more basic fundamental idea than what god do you believe in what religion do you believe in what level of dogma within that religion so it's like do i think there's some interesting dynamics to the idea of astrology that mixes in with uh history and how people were you know previously in life Mm -hmm. to be able to understand these things and put people in categories i think I think there's definitely something to it but whether or not you can look at your horoscope and be like oh it tells me that i'm gonna find my true love on my 25th birthday and you're like all right cool yeah i'm gonna follow you to the t and base my entire life off of you yeah no. so you're not living and breathing the, the aquarian ways absolutely not oh, okay. but the more i read deeper into what seems to be well thought out more complex ideas of astrology some of them seem to really hit the nail on the head and whether that's coincidence or not i can't quite tell you but a lot of them are eerily accurate in a way that's kind of hard to just slough under the rug and be like that's not real yeah but yeah yeah so that has evolved over time uh where did you come from where did you go where did you come from cotton eye joe (laughs) 
<laughs> junior high throwback. <laughs> yeah, where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? So less about like all the places you lived. And when when someone who you don't know asks like, where did you grow up? What is like the place that feels like home to you where you feel like you remember the most and had the most involvement as a kid? Pine Lake. Pine Lake. So on the plateau, the Sammamish Plateau, what used to be Issaquah and is now Sammamish. Uh, yeah. Pretty much born and raised on the plateau. Um, that's, yeah. So east side of Seattle, the the suburb area. <laughs> and then how did you end up here? What, like 20 minutes away? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, some people, you know, they grow up in a certain area. I know a lot of my friends grew up in a certain area, went off to college, and then they seem to have come back and they're raising their kids and they've got their, their back where they were. Uh, originally. And yeah, well, my story is a little, uh, I guess we'll say less complex in the mm. idea that I basically still live with my parents. So I still live on the same property as my parents, which is awesome. But that idea is that I basically am just following my parents. You know, I don't necessarily think I would live here or around here if it wasn't for my parents and the family dynamic that we have here. Yeah. Because like when I went off to school in California, like, yeah, I wanted to come home. But, like, did I specifically see myself living in Redmond or Woodenville? Absolutely not. Woodenville was, like, this small little town that I had only been to a few times. Right. So it's, like, to be here, no. But this area, I think, like, of the greater Pacific Northwest, yeah, there's definitely a a calling towards living here. So tell the people at home a little bit more about the family dynamic or uh, compound that has been created here that you live on. It's pretty beautiful. Yeah. So basically... My parents moved away from the plateau uh, to be closer to wine country, essentially. They got fairly deep into wine and enjoyed the lifestyle that came with wine and wasn't really worth the $60 Ubers to go to and from wine tasting. Um, And they were just looking for something new. Um, And out here in Woodenville, Redmond was... um, It feels less developed. Mm -hmm. Uh, The plateau was very much overcrowded yeah so many people up there i mean there's like what four main high schools all in one drag well because i mean you've got issaquah at the bottom of the hill which Mm -hmm. doesn't really affect it too much but just in that top area you've got skyline eastside catholic and eastside that are all like right there eastside catholic yeah but not when it was there Mm. it was in bellevue then still interesting i didn't even there was just eastside cat there was just eastside and skyline Mm -hmm. and then eastside catholic moved in there the year after i graduated high school so the plateau got kind of overrun. They decided to move out where it's maybe not as hectic, get into their wine life. And you were in college at the time? Yeah. Okay. Um, no, actually, liar. Oh. Uh, I had just graduated college uh, and come home. Okay. And right when I came home, I was living at home, but my parents were still in Singapore. Mm. Um, and then they eventually came home and finished everything out uh, and then put the house up for sale. And so I was living at the house, helping set things up. Uh, and then, yeah, they bought the house like a year after I graduated from college out here in Woodenville. Just a cool house with a event space on it. They looked at some other places all kind of around this general area because they were always interested in doing event type stuff. Mm-hmm. So to add in wine and events was kind of their idea. And then some cool buildings on the property, some cool options to expand things. And then the crazy old neighbor decided he wanted to retire and sell his place and he was running a cider shop for the last 26 odd years and so uh after living at this house for a few years my parents 
decided to ask him if they could buy the spot. And so they kind of worked through it for a while and finally bought it. And with it came some uh, less than up to standard uh, buildings, considering he like built them himself. And so rather than like, you know, living in a house that was built in, you know, the 2000s or like a nice house that's been remodeled, they're like super unique properties that have like home built stuff to them. Mm -hmm. Custom. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's just him building them all himself without really any knowledge of, you know, like no, I don't know, official building stuff. It wasn't a company that came in and built anything. It was mm -hmm. just him building it. Um, yeah. And then so got that cider shop and parents were like, hey, we have a building on our now double the size property that if you come work here for us that you can live there. Yeah, so when they asked you to come and, first of all, just living on the same property now that you're an adult with your parents, like how did that feel? Was that something that you were looking forward to? Were you apprehensive on like how that dynamic was going to work after being gone for a time? Yeah, I mean, there's apprehension for sure um, and kind of dynamic of how everything's going to fit and how much work to put in for different things and, you know, there's it's not a classic business relationship of we're going to pay you 2750 mm -hmm. an hour and you're going to get health care and so it's like i don't know some things just kind of worked to fit in the puzzle piece to be able to allow that mm -hmm. um yeah it's a work in progress yeah mm -hmm. and and it's kind of a constant work in progress but then again so is our career mm -hmm. and so it gives us an opportunity to focus on our career in a living situation that allows me to not have to work a 40 hour a week job to be able to pay rent to live in a certain space and how do you like making cider it's awesome um sometimes it feels like a lot of work uh but yeah it's i don't know it's a cool idea i mean arguably just as big of uh a time commitment is the fact that I have to prune and take care of the hundred or so apple trees on the property, which is also cool because it allows me to work with my hands and get more connected with nature versus mm -hmm. kind of growing up working behind a computer, imagining like I was going to be working at a computer my entire life. Yeah, um, that changed. Yeah, so that's a cool addition to be able to have, to be able to work with my hands and do stuff in nature. Uh, and then also be able to make cider and I get to do it with my family and my brother-in-law helps me obviously Kevin a bunch with it. And so, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a really cool opportunity and it's something that I can kind of be proud of and share with people and literally have like a product to share yeah. versus like, Hey, I'm an accountant or I work at a bank or, you know, I sit behind a computer and people are so connected to the taste buds and especially, um, something that makes them think of holidays or seasonal. And I think there's something about cider that a lot of us maybe grew up with or only have certain times of the year. So when you offer it up or you invite people to come out and check out the cider press, I think that I see this little sparkle of people getting excited to be like, oh, yeah, I want to check that out. And um, You brought some today for us yeah. to have. So that's the other little addition is um, right now hard cider is a huge thing in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, I don't know, my kind of life career changes have gone very much from large corporation to small family run operation, whether that's from my income coming from a corporation 
to us teaching yoga for money and going from, again, working a large company job, like, you know, FedEx, Mm -hmm. to coming to working for a family-run business. Like, all it all kind of narrows down to that idea. Um, And so now with this, it's given me an opportunity that I have a bunch of juice. So why not make some hard cider with it and then have it be a small niche little company that I can make unique batches of hard cider. Yeah. Um, So what we're sipping on right now, you've taken regular cider that you'd make week in in and week out. This one is actually specifically apples from our trees. On property apples. On property that we pressed and then I made juice out of. And so again, it's much less of the idea of... uh, most food or beverage is make each as specific as possible and you want to recreate that every time. Now I'm going to try to do that more in the future with our regular stuff. But what's cool about this is that I can take my specific apples, how they tasted that year and what was different about that year and then make a hard cider out of it that is never going to be reproduced again. Right. Each batch is unique. So how long did this batch take to become hard, to become uh, spicy? (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't take very long i mean to do the process you can do a bunch of different stuff you can ferment it for longer you can um hold it for different amounts but this was actually just like two weeks of having yeast in it and then you add some honey to it and leave it for another two weeks and let it um carbonate Mm -hmm. so it's like a lightly carbonated dry hard cider and what what would you say the goal is in this process are you trying to get a certain taste or certain type of product out or are you just still in the experimental phase totally an experimental yeah it's um more of just trying to understand the process and what works um my parents are super into wine and they're going back to school for wine and whatnot so um Wine is a very specific scientific uh, experiment that allows you to raise the price of a wine substantially based on the ratings it gets, based on the science and art behind how you can create a wine. Okay. Whereas with hard cider, you can still do that. And there are some that sell for a lot more, but you're talking, you know, a hard cider is selling the the most expensive hard cider you're going to get is like 20, 25 bucks at the grocery store for the size of a wine bottle. Whereas like the most expensive wine bottles you're going to get are like ridiculous hundreds of dollars. Um, But you can also get them for super cheap. So uh, it's kind of an interesting idea that I know people have done and I don't think people are necessarily willing to pay because it doesn't quite like hold Mm -hmm. quite like grapes do. Um, But it's kind of a cool idea to be able to create some different lines of stuff. Um, and our production of cider is pretty much maxed out of what we can do mm-hmm. uh, or what we're willing to do with the equipment we have. So we're not looking to become mass a produce yeah, anything, a mass produce yeah. of any type of juice. And so any of the juice I'm taking is essentially taking from sales of selling juice by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so all this added stuff is not about trying to make some large uh, distributing style of cider that I'm going to sell in a bunch of stores. It'd More be of like, a boutique offering. Yeah, get it to like a couple local stuff in mm-hmm. Woodenville and then also potentially try to sell it from here for whatever laws that we can figure out. Mm. 
but then just offer something unique that it's like, hey, you're getting a seasonal cider, Mm -hmm. not just because it's seasonal based on the flavors that I'm putting in it, but seasonal based on like, this is what we have now. And this is like pure, unadulterated, unfiltered, unpasteurized, unique juice. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm excited about the idea of having it at our wedding. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a fun project to be able to share with people. Yeah, I got to get on that and start making, <laughs> start figuring <laughs> out exactly ticking. what we need. So you got into cider kind of through your parents, and that's one of your jobs. Uh, I'd like to dive a little bit into another one of your quote unquote jobs. It's weird to call it a job. We'll call it hobbies. Passion? Passion. Passion that you happen to get paid for. Yeah. Uh, DJing. So music. How did you get into that world? I don't think I really know the answer to that. When hmm. I met you, you were already in it. And um, I don't know what, what pulled you into. into yeah. Music? Uh, this is what 2009 got convinced by a friend to come to a show. And he was like, I'm building this like head for a Halloween costume that I'm going to wear to this event. And I was like, (laughs) all right, cool. Like, I'll come do that with you. Like, he just really convinced me. He was like, you're going to love it. You're always down for a project. Yeah, and he was one of my, like, one of the guys I looked up to in my fraternity. And so I was like, all right, cool, whatever, let's do it. And so I came over and, like, bought all the same stuff he bought, and he, like, started showing me some music by this artist named Dead Mouse. And I was Ah. like, all right, cool. And so we, like, built these heads out of these giant hamster balls and like <laughs> added lights to them and That's big ears and everything yeah. yeah it was awesome yeah i wish i still had that thing um but it's like down for an art project yeah you see those all the time yeah, at raves I now. I but like that they were made like there was like maybe one or two other ones at that event that we went to and now you see them all over the place but that was back in 2009 and i was like all right cool like let's do it went to this show and was like and eh, that's the coolest thing i've ever done and then the next night went to another show and then it was like and that was saw Armin at Monster Massive with like sixty thousand people, and I was like, mm, "All right, this okay. stuff's cool. Yeah, let's do it." And then, uh, yeah, got deeper and deeper into the music scene in Santa Clara. Met other people through Danny and whatnot. And then a bunch of those guys we met at, um, or that you met at Dirty Bird. Oh, okay. Like Charlie and Justin and those guys. They were all throwing nice shows. Yeah, yeah, they were all throwing shows um, in Santa Clara. Um, what was it? It's like level one entertainment. Mm-hmm. Still have some of the shirts. Um, but so I like helped with promotion and stuff with that. And then eventually started doing some promotion with Charlie for Insomniac. And mm. uh, my friends had started DJing and they had equipment and Danny had started producing. And so it was just, I was kind of in that life. And then I borrowed some of his decks one time and kind of learned how to DJ. And then that was what I wanted for graduating college. Basically had my parents buy me a pair of decks for graduating college uh, and a speaker system. And then that was it from there. I just kind of... Do you recall like your first gig? Not necessarily paid, but the first time you had to like get up and do your thing. Yeah, it was paid. It was uh, was at Dante's uh, in Seattle, which now burned to the ground. Uh, Rest in peace. Yeah, I had started doing my podcast. I just started making an hour mix every month. Oh, that was early on then. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. And it was a few episodes into my podcast and uh, this girl that I was hanging out with who uh, was also a DJ and like had like listened to one of my mixes. Um, I don't remember how, but anyway, so we started talking and she was a part of this group 
at UW called UW Plur. And it was this like social experiment that someone started, uh, I think in like 2011 or something. And they started this social experiment and it has become like one of the main social networking things for local kind of Seattle people. And in theory, you were supposed to go to UW and someone invited me into this closed group. I think it was her and invited me into this closed group. And so then I started being able to post into it. And so originally some people thought I went to UW, even though I didn't. And uh, the guy hit me up on Facebook, Ollie, and was like, hey, I love your mixes. Would you like to come play a show sometime? Played at Dante's, um, played a couple sets and the speaker system was awful. (laughs) And we were playing like ridiculous, crazy house music. But I brought my own setup. And it was a better setup than they had at the club. And so I would let other people use it. And they were like, oh, sweet. These guys are dope. And then uh, eventually I brought my whole speaker system, which had like an 18-inch subwoofer and the one we have in our living room. And I would bring that to the club and play super loud music. And people were like, all right, sweet. They have initiative. And then got booked at volume, started playing at volume quite a while, and then uh, got asked to start playing at Foundation started playing at Foundation and have kind of been there ever since and kind of bounced around, played different shows, done different stuff. Um, so that was like, what, eight years ago then when that kind of evolution began? You said that 07. Well, I graduated in, no. So first heard Dead Mouse in 2009. Mm. That was my first rave. And then graduated in 2011. When I came home in 2011, spent like a year putting stuff together. Uh, and then I think in 2012... Maybe late 2011 is when I started playing shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Foundation just had its five-year anniversary. So it was like October of 2012 that Foundation opened up. Um, maybe a little bit earlier. I think it was like August or something. And so then I started there. So where are you now? After in, Through this evolution, where are you now? Where, where do you want to go with your music? What's your? Do you have kind of a master plan? Whatever master plan I've had created hasn't happened uh, for one reason or another. Um, The master plan had way less to do with DJing and way more to do with producing. Um, And that has had its various steps along the way that I'm not going to really delve into because that's a a long story. Sure. But where where are you now with it? What is is your kind of current status as a DJ? The exact same it's always been just uh, wanting to showcase the music that I enjoy and wanting to play gigs to people that enjoy my music. Mm -hmm. And whether that's, you know, 20 people at Contour at 4 a.m. or whether that's to, you know, several hundred people at a packed out foundation nightclub. Like, I don't know. It's uh, it's the the more and more I go into it, the more and more almost like elitist I feel of like not not wanting to be a career DJ. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a career mobile DJ that makes a living off of this and plays to whatever the night needs. And now some of that is necessary. You kind of have to play somewhat what people need, but it's like I want to be able to showcase my style. And right. if that sort sort of gets taken away, then it's not as fun for me anymore. Yeah, so your most recent mix that you put out, um, what was that called? That is my Stranger Things mix. It is called Stranger Things mix. It's up it's on like, uh It's like Jordan Goff 2017 Stranger Things theme yeah, mix. Yeah, so 
What I really appreciate about that mix is the amount of time and thought you put into taking people on a journey. Do you feel like that's where you're kind of moving in, in, in as opposed to just playing for the night? Are you moving more into like a storytelling aspect? Well, that's where I think producing is. Mm. Producing is about creating a story and whether or not it's creating a song. You're still trying to create a song through that. You're trying to create a story through that song. And so my desire as a DJ is to do the same thing. And that is less of let me put a bunch of songs on my playlist and just go do it live. Right. Now, can I do that? Yes, for sure. I do it all the time. But do I necessarily think that those are the best stories? No. It's like... From you know, in my opinion, which is much different than DJs who get paid to be DJs for a living, because for them it's like you kind of vibe off the energy of the room. You, mm-hmm. if people aren't feeling it, you switch it up. Yeah, you play the party. Yeah, you play the party, which which is the goal of a DJ. Mm-hmm. And so that's why a lot of times I early on didn't like to consider myself a DJ. Like I don't want to. I don't know. My idea isn't to go up there and create a story for the crowd. Like that's not what. It's not what any like big name DJ does at any big festival. I mean, now it's all produced beforehand or mostly Mm -hmm. pre-mixed or pre-planned. And I like that idea personally because it allows me to spend hours and hours and hours creating a story beforehand that I then can go and share with people. It's like you're coming to see a movie rather than someone just off the cuff throwing some stuff together. Mm -hmm. Now, is that necessarily going to entice the most amount of people who are just there to party no and that's why i don't want to be a party dj i want to have people come see me because they want to come see me and that's where the and that's where the producer thing comes out that's Mm -hmm. why i love people like lane eight because he can go play a three-hour set of his own productions and they're all his now do i have that skill right now in my life to go be able to play a three-hour set of my own songs no i can't even make a three-minute song you know (laughs) yet yeah i know but right now no and so for me it's like how can i start to craft that artist storytelling where people pay to come see me not people pay to come to the nightclub and i happen to be playing right so that would be my goal as an artist overall and whether that entails me headlining edc like my idea used to be the idea is i don't care how many people really i'm playing in front of like yeah it's more fun to play in front of a big crowd in theory but it's also pretty great to play some like dark late night sets with my friends that are all like super vibing yeah so overall that's my progression i don't i don't want to make a certain amount of money i don't Mm want to i don't Maybe I should have some goals. I have some original goals like play main stage EDC that like has always been big in my mind. But I want to do it in a way that stays utterly true to me. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think you could do similar to the other goals that we encourage with our students is like having an overarching goal and then how that manifests is kind of the fun magic that you get to find out along the way. So rather than being so specific about what main stage, like maybe you just envision a type of experience that you want to have one day and then what that unfolds to be is. Exactly. And that's, what's been crazy is like we have the Walter yoga event coming up, what December 9th in Phoenix. And like, that's the epitome of, 
I don't know, when we did the synergy thing, it was like I drew a picture of what I want. And my idea was to be on a stage. And now whether that being on a stage, it doesn't matter how many people it's in front of necessarily, but the idea is to be on a stage and be able to like showcase me. Mm-hmm. And whether that's yoga, which is the other career, or DJing, isn't really a big issue for me. So it's cool to be able to get up and teach yoga, but it's also cool to get up and have you teach yoga and me DJ. Yeah, this event will be a combination of the two. So to have that route is like, that is my goal, Mm -hmm. to get up and play music that I enjoy for a group of people who are wanting to not only do yoga, but also to dance. Well, and that's pretty fun that we get to craft that journey together. So that big event is going to be held out at Walter Productions, like you said, in Phoenix. And a couple hundred yogis will probably be there. And you get to play on Calliope soundstage, which is pretty epic. And we get to plan it all ahead with lights and lasers and a whole production crew. And um, I would say that uh, even though maybe in five years ago you wouldn't have known that's a goal, uh, it's a pretty, pretty sweet thing that has evolved from at least having i don't know the drive and the passion to take your music and to take yoga somewhere bigger well and that's where my passion i don't know kind of it's funny like you talking about like you hated group projects in the car with bailey because someone always (laughs) slacks like to me like i don't give a shit like it sucks if people slack but at the same time like my strengths in life my kind of style is to be that quote-unquote manager Mm -hmm. that manages everyone else and I'm still doing my equal amount of work but on top of that I'm making sure that everyone else is doing their work and that we're all collaborating in a way and everyone's doing the right amount of work that they can do to make it successful for the whole party so for me like working with you is amazing because I have someone else that's on the same wavelength and that's why I've always DJed with Dave Mm -hmm. regardless of people's thoughts and differences between Dave and I and different philosophies and lifestyles like I prefer being able to play with someone else Mm -hmm. because I like being able to like play off of someone's vibe and like bounce ideas off of them and be like well where do you think this should go rather than kind of like fully taking control And I can do that. I can take control. I can teach a yoga class on my own. I can DJ on my own. I just tend to have more fun when there's someone else I can do it with. Mm -hmm. So So go into yoga a little bit now. It's uh, as you're talking about music, it's crazy how similar they are. Now that I hear like this little bit of backstory, it's uh, your involvement through music and your ideas. They're they're so much alike. It's crazy. So how did you find yoga? How did you decide it was a path you wanted? I want to hear a little bit more about that. Well, I started doing yoga. Um, I had a friend, Jordan Green, that was like, you should come do yoga. I do hot yoga. It's like, all right. And I gave it a try. Um, Actually, from health issues, but we can discuss a lot about health issues in in a separate conversation. Uh, that would take over this whole hour. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, and so I had a doctor that was telling me, you know, yoga would be a good thing. And so I had this whisper in my ear of like, try yoga, yeah. try yoga. You might like it. And then Joe Rogan was talking about yoga and his podcast and stuff. So I was like, all right, sure. I'll give this a try. Um, and then I was with Teresa at the time and she came with Jordan and I, and then we both kind of liked it. And so she bought a group on to your yoga studio that you were managing. Yeah. Uh, and then just kind of fell into it and really liked it because I love sports and I love activity and I love working. Um, 
and it was like your classes almost felt like I was with a team. It felt like I had a team of other people that were all working and moving and playing and conversing and vibing off each other. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So it's like we were all dancing while you kind of told us what to do and gave us suggestions. Um, so that kind of worked well. And then you convinced me to do teacher training and it, uh, it was more for me just a way to get better yeah. at yoga. Learn how to heal yourself. I, I, I definitely saw a bit of a guide and a teacher in you from early on, but for me it was more that I wanted to give you the tools to learn how to um, be prescriptive with your yoga when you were feeling off. And Yeah, and that was kind of, that was an overarching or I guess we'll say rather than overarching, it was an underlying goal that I used in some ways as an excuse mm-hmm. of like why I did yoga, of like wanting to deal with some of it. But I think another pretty important topic was ego, mm-hmm. you know, my ego of wanting to be better at this so I could do a handstand to be able to outperform other people in the class and then went through teacher training and, the teacher training really helped me uh, get in touch with my ego and learn it and not necessarily learn how to control it, but learn how to not let it take over the situation and ruin the positive prescriptive stuff that I was supposed to be doing. Right. Uh, And so that kind of just shifted a perspective and I hated the job I was doing already. They weren't valuing me what I was valued at. And then I got, offered a job to help manage a studio. And then it was like, all right. And then I got just thrown 100% into the yoga world, Mm -hmm. which tends to happen in my life. I just get hucked into (laughs) something and I'm like, all right, let's do this. Let's go. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I did a bunch of yoga through different routes, whether or not that was managing a studio or teaching or, you know, whatever. Uh, So yeah, kind of kept doing yoga. And then the more and more, I got into actually teaching the more and more it was blatantly obvious how yoga and music were the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, telling a journey from beginning to end, you warm people up and then you build up the heat and you get to the high intensity and then you kind of cool everyone down. And, you know, there are these peaks and valleys and where you choose to put those peaks and valleys is completely up to you. Yeah, And so it's not only like yeah there is a structure to it but you also have this open rein to be able to change the structure however you want right and i think that's kind of a again we'll use the term underlying an underlying idea of my life of i like having structure but i like being able to modify the structure when i want and how i want and being able to live on a property with my parents and you know, take care of apple trees and make cider and teach yoga and DJ or all these things that I can kind of pick and choose and put in whatever place I want throughout my calendar of life Mm -hmm. so that I can do them. And they all require a progression of growth and movement and ups and downs that is dictated by me and the people that I care about most instead of a company or a boss that is worried about the bottom line of money. Whereas like money is important, but like money isn't my big thing. Yeah. The uh, expression of your spirit through creativity, through art, through your community, your family, it seems to be that uh, that is what 
fuels you right now. And I love that. And um, all of these questions have been more for everyone else. I definitely have learned a little bit about you, but I have um, some more in-depth questions I would like to ask you. So in front of me, I have the book called Tools of Titans, a Tim Ferriss book that I believe I actually bought for you, but I seem to read like every day. I love it. And he's got this rapid fire question uh, area of questions that he says, uh, if you end up sitting next to a Nobel Prize winner or billionaire, what would you ask them? And so you are my Nobel Prize winner slash billionaire. (laughs) So I have some questions to ask of you. Uh, When you think of the word successful, who is the first person who comes to mind and why? Oh, about like who is successful? Yeah. Interesting. My brain immediately went to my English professor in college who uh, at the beginning of the course made us write what we thought success was. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the course of the quarter, we like modified what success was. Yeah. And it was really interesting because success was nothing like I had imagined it. Um, so in your determination of success in this current point in your life, who, who comes to mind? Yeah, that's a really tough question. I mean, my best one is, I hate it because I always go there, but Joe Rogan, like he's, I mean, I guess Tim Ferriss would be another person. He wrote this damn book, but uh, my idea is Joe Rogan, just because he makes a living off of doing stand-up and uh, commentary for UFC and a podcast. So it's like he's got three different jobs that are jack of all in, trades, but not really. Yeah, and they're entirely different. And then he has a hobby, which is bow hunting. But mm-hmm. it's like he's got these three main jobs that make him money, that are all do completely separate things, but are all intertwined. Mm-hmm. They're all storytelling, mm-hmm. which is similar to You're like right, what yeah. I'm doing. You know, one is t- telling a story through. F- food or drink another's telling a story through yoga another's telling a story through music joe is either telling a story through comedy or he's Mm -hmm. telling a story based on what he's seen in front of him and adding in anecdotes about fighting or adding in um what was the last one um podcast podcast (laughs) (laughs) exactly what we're doing (laughs) brain fart uh so yeah and his last one was podcast which is doing storytelling and also encouraging other people to do storytelling right he has a lot of other podcasters on as well which i like that he highlights other people not just himself yeah which is what i would love to do with this in the near future yeah i think it's just a cool idea that we're doing first of like get to know the people that are going to be doing these get some practice in our belt before we put other people in the hot seat well that too and like (laughs) but you can you can look online for what joe rogan does right you know you can figure out that he's a ufc commentator you can figure out that he's a a stand-up comedian and that he does his podcast so you can like find out more about Joe through some like quick, easy searching, but it would take quite a bit of delving to figure out who we are, you know, mm-hmm. without being Facebook or Instagram friends with us. There's no Wikipedia page about Jordan and Antonella. Right. So it's like, Sharing a this is a good bit. way to be able to share some information with us. Yeah. Joe seems to also somehow balance a family life with a wife and kids uh, with all of those careers, which I think is a great way to define success because you can see these maybe millionaires or people who are highly successful in their one field and their expertise, but then like, do they have a life outside of that? Or they work until 3 a.m. every day? Uh, yeah, it depends on the person. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's some pretty interesting conversations. I mean, you get to like the really big people like Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or... Um, Elon Musk and you have these like big name people and you watch all these entrepreneurs and they make all this money but like 
and some of them have these like great advice about the things that they they do and they can do but like from seeing I guess it's it's my personal opinion but a lot of them like I don't necessarily want to be that person right whereas someone like Tim Ferriss and like Joe Rogan that like fits my idea right they inspire you for success instead of being the people that get interviewed they interview other people right and that's that's me because I want to I want to learn from other people. I don't necessarily want to be the go-to guy that people come to for all the answers, Mm -hmm. but I am on a quest to learn the answers and want to talk to those people. The best teachers are always a student. Yeah. Yeah. So another question I have for you is, what is the book that you have either been given the most as a gift or been suggested by other people? Like, is there a book that you've just been told time and time again that's, like, something that you must read? Yeah. I mean, it's hard because, like, I guess I probably haven't been given too much. Most of it's just, like, stuff online. Mm -hmm. So more of it's what has been, like, suggested to me from other people posting, not necessarily toward me, but just not about. Not directly yeah. towards you. Yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of them would be Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of one of those big ones. Um, yeah. That in this book. Yeah. <laughs> the Titans. It's become, it's become that kind of a book. It's my Bible. Yeah. Um, all right. How about... What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? In the last six months? What have I bought for under 100 bucks that super influenced my life? I don't know. My dog was 250 bucks, so that doesn't count. Uh, wow. I don't really know. I'm trying to think of what I've really bought in the last six months. Yeah, you're not a big spender. No. Right now, I just don't have a lot to spend on. It could have been on. an experience, though. It doesn't have to be an item. Yeah. I I really don't know. Because right. a lot you of my stuff is, like, one. over. Like, yeah. you know, I'm thinking, like, oh, these microphones. But, like, those are over 100 bucks. And then there's, like, different. Yeah. Okay. That's a tough That's one. Right. You don't have to know the answer to all the questions. Huh. What topic would you speak about if you were asked to give a TED Talk on something outside of your main area of expertise? So outside of music, yoga, cider, what do you feel like you could get up and and speak passionately to people about? Wow. You're stumping me with these questions. Dig deep, Goff. I know it's in you. Um... Wow. I guess, like, some sort of, like, motivational speaking type stuff is my thought, Um, which is kind of hard because, like, all TED Talks are the idea of, like, motivational speaking in some way or another. Um, But I guess it would be more about you know, figuring out who you are and how what you have is important, what you have to share with the world can be important. Um, and a lot of that feels like it's being touted a lot by these people like Tim Ferriss who have already kind of like found that niche and they have a stronghold on those things. Um, and so I feel like a lot of it would be 
repeating stuff that they say, but I feel like that's probably right. But they're not you. So that's, what's really cool. And why I think that type of topic can't be overdone and it doesn't get old because every person's point of view and spirit and experience is different. So what you would speak to in that respect might inspire people in a different way than Tim or these other people. Yeah, I think that you would do great at that. I would mm. go to that TED Talk. <laughs> would you watch it on YouTube? Yeah, I would, I would listen to it. Okay, I have a couple more for you. Okay. Um, what are your morning rituals? So what does the first like hour of your day look like? And you could pick a work day or a weekend day. It doesn't matter to me. But like, let's pick an ideal day. Let's go with ideal, actually. What does okay. your ideal morning look like? Um. Well, now that I have a dog, a lot of it's centered around this dog, um, which I think is actually pretty good. It helps give me something that I have to do. Uh, it's a lot harder for me to get out of bed if I don't have something that's kind of like I'm getting up for. And so in school or work, you kind of have an alarm clock that's like you got to be somewhere by a certain time. And I don't necessarily have that right now too much. You know, we teach class, but I get up an hour and a half before we have to leave for class even anyway. Um, so yeah, getting up and taking care of my dog is definitely an early part. Um, lately it's been a lot of kind of hop on social media and check it out. Uh, for a while, I, um, one of my life coaches that I was talking with early on actually recommended all this Tim Ferriss stuff a while back. And so I was doing a no technology when I woke up in the morning and, kind of tempted to get back on that so I think my ideal day would be very much getting up taking care of the dog um and then going and making breakfast and then probably sitting down and reading something like this every morning and doing like a morning meditation the amount of times I mean you you ask like what book has been suggested to me the most well the thing that's been suggested to me the most in life is to get up in the morning and meditate so it's definitely one of those things I know I need to do. Mm -hmm. The book of you. Yeah. The book of your internal focus and meditative place. Yeah. I definitely have a, a bit of struggle with like actually doing what I know I'm supposed to do. And it, it like that's been a big thing in my life in general is someone tells me something I should do. And it takes a few years <laughs> of being constantly reminded of this shit that I'm supposed to do. And then eventually something kicks me in the ass hard enough that's like, all right, you got to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I've toyed around with doing meditation every morning or every night at bed. And, you know, we've we've played with it. We've done like month long challenges, but I haven't actually like solidified it and made it an actual routine. Daily it's routines, not a habit. Yeah. Uh, so maybe... um you know, seven habits of highly effective people or something like that. I <laughs> Maybe need to that's go, your next go read and get kicked in the ass to, to make it happen. What is the best or most worthwhile investment that you have made? It could be an uh, investment of money, time, energy, or resources. Uh, what was, what do you think is the most worthwhile for you? Uh, my brain immediately went towards, you know, getting those CDJs when I graduated college. Um, it, I mean, that's going back to a, a DJ topic, but the idea was that I started with something that was more complex than easy. Um, and by starting with something that was a little more difficult to do and required a little more learning went a long way. Mm -hmm. So rather than just taking the easy route and buying a, a tractor set up with auto sync, I was 
buying something that required me to learn the technology that was being used at nightclubs. So when people would come up with their, you know, controller set up and have to plug it in and unplug it before or after our set, it was always this obnoxious thing and <laughs> people hate you and nightclubs have even started banning it outright and they won't let you play on a controller to bring your own setup. You have to play on their equipment. So I think that was one of the most worthwhile things to me that caused a decent amount of grief and hard work to kind of figure things out and recording it was much more of a difficult process and had to go buy separate components and sound cards that I could mix everything with and record it. Uh, but overall, I think that was one of the most important and whether or not I've utilized it to full fruition is another conversation. Well, I mean, but. it definitely set you on a path towards discovering your creativity and learning to share it with other people, whether it's mm -hmm. through music or through yoga. Yeah, yeah. it seems like it was what set you in the direction that you're on now alike. Um, what other question do I have? Oh, here we go. <clears throat> if you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Hmm. We asked this question on social media a week or two ago and the responses were epic. I loved yeah. them. They were so good. Uh, yeah, so the way my brain works, I always start to try to think of something even better. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always been a, a struggle of learning to go with my gut instinct. But I think the first thing that came to mind was love yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's a pretty important one. Um, could I come up with a better one given a little bit of time? Sure. But I think love yourself is... I think Pretty it could change the necessary. world if everybody looked at that billboard and actually did it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of shit would change for the better. Yeah. I like that billboard. All right. Um, I guess oh, what I kind of want to dive into really quick is um, what do you have for the audience? Like, is there any like ask or request that you have for them? Any last parting words, anything going on in your life that you want to share or that you want to get out there? Uh, this is your platform. <laughs> oh, geez. My red carpet. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. So I guess the, the big thing that I'm doing right now is Movember. So uh, some people will say no shave November, but this one's totally different, which is just mustache November, uh, which is I get to grow a, a creepy mustache. <laughs> uh, yeah, it goes a lot deeper than just growing a mustache. And the idea is to support men's health awareness. Um, I played with it a little bit and you may have seen a Facebook or social media Instagram post from me about it. Um, but if you haven't, Maybe go check it out. I'll be continuing to promote it as we go. But the idea is to use this mustache that for some people looks really cool for me, ends up just looking a little bit more creepy, <laughs> uh, to promote the idea of men's health and whether that men's health is specifically based on testicular cancer or prostate cancer. Um, I actually have a good friend who just beat testicular cancer, which is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I think... Mental health is a big one in society right now. We uh, seem to be having a huge issue. And what, you and I watched that documentary, um, The Masks We Live In? The Mask You Live In. Mask Great you live documentary. In. Uh, just about men's health and kind of 
the issue we have in our society of men wearing masks and not being able to be themselves. And I think that's something I've always dealt with. It's always been super important to me. And <laughs> oddly enough, one of the huge ones for me was Linkin Park. It's just a lot of their lyrics really spoke to me regarding that mask and putting on a daily mask as you go out in your life. And then what do you know? Uh, Chester Bennington ends up committing suicide, which is like ridiculous for me. That's like, I guess we'll say the person closest to me that has committed suicide. And a lot of people like you have a lot of people that are closer who have done that. Um, and so it's something. Yeah, even though you didn't know him personally, you grew up. <laughs> he sure spoke to me a yeah. lot. Yeah. So having that kind of really solidified things and seeing more people post about men's health and you and I kind of talking about the kind of philanthropic things we want to do. And that one just really stuck. And again, me talking about needing a kick in the pants, it was mm -hmm. like I had wanted to do it for a while and never quite took the steps to do it. And then Connor Thomas finally kept kind of making these posts. And I was like, all right, yeah, it's time. It's time. Yeah. I need to do this. Yeah, in respect to the physical health, it seems to be that for whatever reason, men have gotten the idea that they need to suck it up or like that going to the doctor is some sort of form of weakness. And so I think a, a lot of the issues with health-wise, physical health-wise, a lot of men just aren't aware. They don't get checkups. They don't, uh, maybe they're scared or they're, that, that shows some sort of weakness to go and ask for help or I think, inquire. Well, I think a lot of it's deeper than... I mean, yeah, I can see that too, but a lot of it really stems from the mental health for me of like people, yeah, they don't go to the doctor much to get checked, but I, I think that's just people in general. I think there's a lot of issues of not wanting to know what health issues you have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's people that don't eat healthy because they have the mindset of like, you know, fuck it. I'd rather eat what I want to eat and right. deal with the repercussions later than eat gluten-free because mm -hmm. then I look weak or like <laughs> a pussy because I can't order a burger all right yeah. um so yeah it's it's a lot that but i think a lot of it's deeper in the mental health thing of like it's way harder for someone uh, for a male to ask for mental health or to say i want to see right. a counselor i want to see a therapist um and i think that has to change yeah so what is it it's like three out of four suicides are men mm-hmm why, so do you think that's part of it is not wanting to ask for help or being? Yeah. I mean, a lot of just, I mean, it's one thing to ask help for other people. It's another thing to ask for your f help from your friends and your family. But even then it almost seems to be harder to ask for help from your friends and family when you're going through stuff like that. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't really know those statistics. If I recommend everyone goes and watch it's it. It's on, what was it on Netflix? The Mask You Live In? I yeah, think it, was on it was on Netflix. The Mask You Live In. So it's the representation project. If you've watched Misrepresentation, which is kind of the female perspective of, of societal struggles, that was a few years ago. And then they put out this new project, which is The Mask That You Live In, and um, kind of takes on the boy crisis or man crisis of mental health. And um, yeah, I think it's a good thing to watch. And then also go on, you said, onto your page and check out your post. It was a, a little while ago, but they should be able to find it on there 
regarding your Movember page, they can go on and donate and learn a little bit more about where that money would go and, and who it would help. And, and maybe they need to stay tuned to see how this mustache evolves. I don't, I don't really see a lot going on quite yet. Yeah. It my hair week? grows pretty slow. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty slow. It hasn't quite been a week. It's almost there. Okay. Um, so it'll be a full month that you're going to let this mustache grow. So yeah. are we going to see like a caterpillar? Or are we going to see like... <laughs> remember, I say, remember that picture? A full on porn sash. Remember that picture from like three years ago when I did it just for fun? <sighs> That's what it's going to look like. That was an exact month of that. That was rough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll rock it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Um, But kind of going back to what you were saying, there's there's so many statistics that get thrown out to you with a documentary like that Mm -hmm. that's like almost overwhelming to like be able to process all of those ridiculous numbers and why those numbers are that high. Like, I don't quite understand. And I don't think a lot of other people do, but I think that's the important thing is to get enough people aware of this topic that Mm -hmm. they start to comprehend those numbers. I mean, my brain goes to the idea of like space. You try to talk about these numbers in space and you just can't comprehend what 100 trillion billion light years is. You're like, what the? Right. I have no idea. You're aware of them, but you don't comprehend them. (laughs) And so I think that's the idea is that we need to make these things more aware to people so that the conversation happens. And with that conversation allows dialogue. And mm-hmm. with that dialogue allows people to voice what's happening and also feel open to voice things. And I think we're in a, you know, I'll use the word political, but I don't want to get into politics at all, but we're in a political space of people kind of either being afraid to say what they think or being too open with their thoughts like and thoughts that are like competitive yeah Yeah. there's oversharing but then there's something in between of like how can you share less about your opinions on things and more about your feelings on things Mm -hmm. and i think your feelings are pushed down i mean so often in social media or comments it's like i don't give a shit what you feel like Mm -hmm. this is the way it is and i think that's I don't know. I think it's important, but it's also like how how do we get a society of people who are constantly told that their feelings don't matter to also be able to share their feelings? Because I think the more people can have a dialogue and say, this makes me feel this way, the more we can start to come up with ideas of ways that we can fix some pretty big underlying issues. Yeah, I think it requires better listening skills. If we can all just listen a little bit more without judgment or trying to tell our own opinion and allow everybody the space to feel what they're feeling and really be heard. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what we're missing. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So one last thing to wrap it up. You don't have to elaborate at all. Just give me a one word answer. What is your spirit animal? Mine is a wolf. All right. Can you howl for me? Ow. nice work all right thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your magic with us and like i said this is my hashtag man crush monday um stay tuned for women crush wednesday which i'm assuming it's gonna be me yeah yeah it'll be me interviewing you (laughs) in a couple days uh i'll be in the hot seat yeah and if you want more information kind of about the november thing i have going on or soundcloud links etc of stuff that i'm doing i will be throwing all those up so yeah a good way to link to all of it is just search our names uh on 
Facebook and then anything else like our website or Instagram is gravity lift. So yeah. See you guys in cyberspace or maybe in real life quite soon. All right. See ya.